Everybody comfortable? Yeah. Get your ass up when I'm talking. Hey, take it easy. It's showtime. It's showtime. Yeah. Feel the magic and soul of the YB. David show we are here to have a good time on a like super tuesday super tuesday super tuesday uh who knows what the world's gonna be like today for y'all watching this today who knows what the world's gonna be but we recorded this last night my name is kenneth davis i'm your host always with me on my right hand side used to be d <laughs> it's ryan Pukovetsky. uh follow ryan at ryan b ski and ryan b ski one on instagram i didn't get my ad my ad is that davis across all platforms even platforms i don't use I usually snatch up my handle just in case I use it down the line or just to stop those little kids from using my damn handle and disrespecting the That Davis franchise. Uh, but yeah, we definitely want to get into some election talk. We've got to talk about that Bears loss to the Saints this past week. A little dabbling in the NBA and discussion between owners and the players about when to start. There was something that came out today that said that players want to start in the middle of January where the league wants to start. Or ownership wants to start before Christmas Day. And if they don't do that, there's a chance they could lose up to $650 million. So we'll talk about that a little bit. And of course, going to go up for grabs. And at the heart of the show, we're lucky enough to have Chris McPherson, a writer for uh, the PhiladelphiaEagles.com, to join us for a discussion on Nick Foles. I want to dig that. I want to take a dig, I mean, a dive into Nick Foles and his career with the Eagles and just oppose that with what's taking place so far with the Bears. No, I didn't know what that was. But look, right now, Ryan just did something on the screen. It popped. But right now, let's go off the top. Take it from the top. The tippy. Oh, my people. All right. One thing I wanted to get into, and I just saw it on the news, was the fact that COVID cases in children has risen and has been at the highest since the pandemic, since the pandemic has taken place. Uh, at least this past week, 6,100 kids got COVID. Now, the reason I'm bringing this up is, one, we've been told a lot of times that they're not super spreaders or they are super spreaders. But here in Chicago, one of the things that were taking place or one of the things that CPS, Chicago Public Schools, uh, asked the parents was uh, for kids that are in uh, pre-K and kids that are special needs. I have a daughter in pre-K that they were going to go back to school, not hybrid uh, like they were talking about before school started or that was at least an option prior to school starting. Uh, but they were going to do it every day because they feel like those kids are neglected and really aren't getting as much out of remote learning, which I can't understand what they're saying. Because if you if you can't help your kid and they're pre-K, not all kids need help, but majority of kids need help. And it's good to have an adult there because the teacher is still remote and can't really impose their will on these children. So <laughs> it's good to have. Damn shame. Yeah, it's good to have a parent there to straighten them up at times or it also help them sometimes with the equipment uh, and stuff like that. So, again, of course, I was against it. And it's just funny because now that we hear that we're in a second wave, we hadn't heard anything from CPS. And then when I saw that that on the news today and how basically they're like, you know, it's, it's not as much of a worry if kids catch COVID and you have to worry about the the uh, the, the prepositioned uh, older people, prepositioned younger people. Um, so that was the thing that just jumped out to me today. Like, look at what's taking place and people are still trying to do something that's probably we don't need to do right now. But I do get why uh, you got kids at home with abusers. You know, you got kids that just need to be able to interact with other kids. And also it's, it's stagnating their growth. But 
COVID is dangerous, you know, and I hate to go into a COVID spill, but I was watching television yesterday and just they're talking about just some of the things we still don't know about COVID moving forward long term and how we thought this was a respiratory disease. And look what it does uh, to the rest of your bodies when it comes to your brain, your heart uh, and uh, you know, your major organs. So that was just my thought on uh, for off the top for uh, kids going back to school and thinking about how many kids have, have hit the COVID record this past week. Next. I want to talk. You got? I want to talk about the selection, dog. A friend of the show, um, Gabe Mendoza, posted on Facebook uh, a photo or, or a meme or a gif of um, Stone Cold Steve Austin double chugging. Uh, I don't know if it was beers. It looked like it may have been some gallons. Maybe yeah, some- Steve Weisers. Okay, so and he was talking about. He said, "This is me drinking Mac of Tears." And somebody was like, shh, don't jinx it. And if you follow the show, you know, I came out on, I think, Saturday's show that got posted Monday, yesterday, and said that, yeah, I think I think the, the election's in the bag. I think Biden has it. Um, and I told Ryan I'm doing this and getting myself amped so if it goes left, I can get real mad and I can, I can use that anger for the next four years to fuel me. A win-win for you. Exactly. Hey, I can't take I can't take an L, even though forget the win-lose option on election day. You're going win-win. Right. Even though it's if if he's back in, it's a it's a, it's an L. It's it's that's, it's not a win uh, by any means. But I have to use it in some in some ways. One round. Did you go out and vote? Yeah, I already voted. Ooh, that was a halfway up right there. Somebody was like, "I live. Oh. They're gonna take care of that." Did you? I, yeah, I did it a week ago, a week and a half ago now. I don't believe it. I did the Friday before last. Yeah, but that's all right. I don't believe you. You should have been here during the remote learning with Kelsey when she told her teachers and brought down. Um, you should have recorded it and then you have left. some proof. We usually take them with us, but the fear was that she was going to end up touching something at the, uh, the election uh, site because sometimes it's hard just to get her to not touch stuff because we went to go vote. And I think the last time we voted was in March or April. Went to go vote then. She kind of touched something, and then that's when COVID had just popped off or whatever. Well, we usually take them with us to instill in them to use, use, take advantage of being able to vote, not being a, your right to vote is what I should say. Take advantage of your right to vote. Uh, but yeah, definitely uh, looking forward to whatever takes place. Um, looking forward to perhaps getting out of this soap opera that I've lived in for the la- that we've lived in for the last three. And a half years, three and a half more years. Um, again, I'm not dissing your uh, political opinion. I just don't like living in the madhouse 24-7. So I want to jump out of it. I'm not the biggest Biden guy, but I need him to do this solid for me so I can get to living the life I want to live. Hope he's a one-termer. Um, but yeah, it's just good to finally, it feels like, I, again, it wasn't just yesterday, but it feels, it, it's, it feels like two years ago. It's weird. This year because of COVID, it seems like two years. Like if you can go back to the, the tragic loss of uh, Kobe Bryant's daughter and the other seven people that were on that helicopter, it feels like it was a, a more than a year ago, at least. And of course, that's the beginning of the year, but it feels like closer to two years. But it's, it feels compacted with the fact that you barrage with Trump shit 24-7, that it feels like two to three years ago, not that I can remember sitting in that room that I was discussing at ICB, or IMS, um, and when the election results were coming through. And I'm just happy, man. I'm happy to be at the other end of the tunnel. Um, I'm happy to be alive at the other end of the tunnel when we've lost some people through here, man. And you know what? If, if, if we get the news tomorrow, man, I may pop, a, I may pop some bubbly. 
You know what I'm saying? Pop, let's pop a little bubbly. So celebrate, you know what I'm saying? Uh, a sense of normalcy, I guess. All right. Uh, it's, it's sad where, and I tell you this for people to just say, don't vote. It's sad where you're looking to return to normalcy when normalcy still wasn't benefiting you. Right. But you know what? I'll take that normalcy over this normalcy. All right. Like I, I'll, I'll take this. I'll take that over this because uh, this is bonkers. And the division between the country and not to say there always wasn't a division, but this open division and wound. It needs some time to kind of heal up uh, as we progress to become a, a better nation, to say the least. And that's it. That's my Eat Uncle Joe. Uncle Joe. Uncle Joe. Yeah. It's funny when you watch some of the ads and how. People are kind of tricky. Like if you pay, like just watching social media today, I've noticed how people are trying to like crack wise, but really they're trying to convince you on who to vote for, but they're trying to do it subliminally, not straightforward. And it's just like, I just don't get the agenda sometimes, you know what I'm saying? Especially with uh, people with skin color like my own. Um, but yeah, so shout out to Uncle Joe and Auntie Kamala. Um, you know, we can't wait to see you in the White House. Hopefully we can get those three Senate seats and since she'll be vice president, she'll have that tie-breaking vote if we can't get four. And, uh, you know, at least for a term, you can have both houses with all three branches of the government. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, man, it's uh, this is uh, what a time to be alive, to say the least, unless shit goes to shit tomorrow. <laughs> unless all these stores that are boarded up. And all these people where you have uh, old CTA buses and you have garbage trucks to try to block people. Uh, yes, unless that's actually needed. <laughs> well, we uh, got our first polls closing pretty soon. And it's yes, going to be sir. all friggin' night. And who knows yeah. these mail-in ballots. I mean, there's so many mail-in ballots, bro, Ryan, that outside of the states that first report and that don't wait to tear those bad boys open, it's going to take a while. while. Like, I I didn't get why, even to a certain degree tonight, people are kind of amped, where it's like, maybe tonight we'll have an inkling, but we'll have probably a clearer picture tomorrow afternoon about which way it's going with all the mail-in votes, uh, to say the least. You would think. I wonder how they're going to do it. They're going to tell us it's going to keep you just going to see it on the news where that state reports and tells us, you know, how many electoral votes or whoever got what. That's this is I, saw, I heard somebody say it's going to be a little stagnant. Then you're going to just see leaps and leaps, perhaps at times because all of those uh, mail-in ballot mail-in votes coming in. Well, hopefully it's dramatic, I guess. All right. On the side of this break, we're going to switch off into a little bit of football. I definitely want to take a deep dive into Nick Foles' career with the Eagles to see uh, how that affects or how how it affects how he plays with the Bears uh, as far as uh, his accuracy, as far as his fundamentals when he's thrown off his back foot, and as far as not necessarily taking care of the football. To help me with that, we're going to have Chris McPherson from PhiladelphiaEagles.com to join us to start talking about a little bit about Nick Foles' career with the Eagles, the ups and downs, and how that may necessarily uh, play out here in Chicago. That Davis Show. That Davis Show right now. We're joined by Chris McPherson. He covers the Eagles for PhiladelphiaEagles.com. Make sure you check out at Eagles. Also follow him at C Mac Eagles. That is C M A C E A G L E S. That's a good little handle you got right there. You got to pay attention to that handle, Chris. 
Hey, I appreciate it very much. You know, it's uh, it, one of those things where you try to get on as early as you can in the process to get those key names. So, hey, you got that Davis show. I mean, come on yeah. now. You know right. what show it is, that Davis show. So, no, uh, glad to talk a little, uh, little bit about quarterback Nick Foles. Yeah, uh, and I, I, I definitely want to get – your 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 opinion uh, on Nick Foles during this time with the Eagles, and perhaps if you witness anything that's taking place with him at the Bears, or even a little bit with the Jags last season, uh, the Bears have a, a terrible offensive line, and uh, as of right now, our head coach isn't a, a really good play caller to say the least. I, there's still a chance he may be a good coach when it comes to keeping his locker room together, but when it comes to necessarily play calling, we're not getting out of Matt Nagy what we thought we were going to be getting out of Matt Nagy. But even above all of that is it seems like Nick Foles is indifferent to ball security. Now, was there was there anything back in his Eagle days that where he did not take care of the ball? Because even I mean, I, I can remember 2013 uh, when he when he first started. And the thing about that year was the fact that he only gave up two interceptions. I oh, yeah. The number because you were looking. I, I, I don't know if he had 20 or 22 touchdowns that year. I can't remember. Twenty seven. 27. Okay, 27. 27, and then you can add the two from the playoffs. He had 29. So 29 so, th- passing touchdowns and only two interceptions. And so, he left the field, you know, real quick. I would say he left the field ahead. in the wild card game against the Saints with the lead. Okay, it was Drew Brees. Actually, it was a big Darren Sproles return. couple plays by Drew Brees, and they were able to kick a field goal as time expired to knock him out of the playoffs that year. Yeah, I, I do remember that. And so – is it a situation where it's just here in Chicago that you're starting to see what Nick Foles is turnover prone? Or was there, there signs during his 10 years with the Eagles where he, he was turnover prone, I guess is what I said. The, the, the Eagles, Nick Foles' career is probably the most unique career for a quarterback of any quarterback in NFL history. Because you go to 2012, drafted in the third round, and – Look, Andrew Luck was the star. He was the franchise. He was the the future Hall of Famer, the, you know, the guy who was going to come in and, you know, turn the Indianapolis Colts into instant contenders. If you look statistically from their college days playing in the Pac-12, Nick Foles and Andrew Luck, okay, obviously maybe not the same talent-wise, but numbers-wise, very, very close, playing against similar competition. However, Nick Foles is the one who ends up going in the third round to the Eagles. Now, he goes to Andy Reid, but this isn't – Kansas City Chiefs, Super Bowl champion Andy Reid. This is the end of the Eagles era, Andy Reid. And Andy's time, it was just for, for both sides. Both sides needed a fresh start, okay? Mm-hmm. the fan, He run his course with the fans. He took the Eagles as far as he could get them. They, they were consistent winners, but you're looking at a couple of years before that, 2011, okay? The team was 8-8, eight and eight, didn't make the playoffs. 2012, okay? This one Foles' his rookie season. The bomb dropped out. Andy Reid tried to utilize Foles late in the year and said, and say, this is my guy. Look, this is our, our future quarterback. Let me have him. Let me, you know, turn the franchise over and get a fresh start with him. But owner Jeffrey Lurie was like, look, we, we both need a fresh start. We both need to, to move away. And, of course, the fact that Andy was instantly hired – by the Chiefs, it was negotiated in like the Philadelphia airport. I mean, it was like so instantaneous that the other teams jumped on showed to how good a coach he is, and you've seen what he's done over there since. So Chip Kelly's hired, okay, bold move by the Eagles, was the one that everyone in the NFL wanted. And 
he gets Nick Foles, but Nick Foles is not his guy. Okay. He looks at this offense and has Michael Vick in tow and says, Michael Vick's the guy I want to run this offense. And it's almost like this should have been like Baltimore Ravens, Lamar Jackson, you know, esque offense in 2013. But the problem is Michael Vick got hurt. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the Eagles took the league by storm there kind of in 2013, that first game, they're going up and down the field against Washington. You know, they, they it was a primetime game, took everyone by storm. Well, Michael Vick gets hurt a couple weeks later, and then Nick Foles comes in, and you mentioned the 27 touchdowns, two interceptions, and the Eagles win the division. 2014, look, Nick Foles is like the starter by default because it's like, well, I, he just won us the division. He just has this great Pro Bowl season. I, I guess he's got to be my starting quarterback, but it's like Chip Kelly never wanted him. Mm. And so 2014, I think Nick Foles started like, Six and two in the first half of the season, but then he got hurt. He got a collarbone injury. Okay. And then, you know, it was Mike, Michael Vick, and then it was Mark Sanchez, and it was a mess down the stretch. The Eagles finished 10 and six, but don't make the playoffs. So then going to 2015, we get the rumblings, you know, early in the offseason that they're going to pull off a trade and they're going to acquire Sam Bradford. This is Chip Kelly's going to get the quarterback he wants finally. But the crazy thing is, when I first found out about the trade, I'm thinking to myself, Okay, it was going to be the Eagles were going to get a high pick and Sam Bradford in exchange for Nick Foles. And it was like, no, the Eagles are giving up the high draft pick and Nick Foles. And I'm like, and you're kind of at this point, like, all right, let's let's see what happens. I guess. You know, and you know, Sam Bradford doesn't work out here. Nick Foles doesn't work out in St. Louis. Nick Foles talks about retiring, you know, kind of want to focus on his family. One one of the things is his wife Tori was going through the medical ailment. I, I forget the exact name of it, but she was going through that medical ailment during his time in Philadelphia. And that, if you talk to players in the locker room, they're like, that's something that really weighed on him in that 2014 season that he would never talk about. He would never make any excuses for, but it was something that was very prominent behind the scenes that he was dealing with. Um so he talked about he's talked about this openly about wanting to retire, losing the love for the game. But then Andy Reid brought him to Kansas City. He got to be the backup there in Kansas City and kind of, you know, rejuvenated his career a little bit and then was able to leverage that into getting a free agent deal to be the backup in Philadelphia in 2017, Kenneth. And we see what happened. But what's interesting about 2017, in that training camp, he had an elbow injury. And they were having joint practices with the Miami Dolphins. And there were times when Nick was throwing the ball and it was like, I don't know if he can play. Like they were like legit concerned about it. is his arm strength going to be able to hold up if he had to go into a game. So that kind of, you know, he took some, some rest. It kind of dissipated because Carson Wentz was having the MVP season. The Eagles were 11 and two. And all of a sudden Nick Foles has to come off the bench. Now you mentioned in Chicago, he doesn't have, you know, a great offensive line. Eagles had an outstanding offensive line in 2017, 2018. Okay. That was a huge component of the team's success. Eagles were, I think a top three running team that season. They had LeGarrette Blunt. They acquired Jay Ajayi. They had Corey Clement, a rookie for agent who was helping out. They had Dar- you know, Darren Spools obviously was not in the mix at that point, but overall strong run game to compliment him. You know, a guy like Alshon Jeffrey reminds you of like Allen Robinson. Okay. In Chicago, a guy who can go up and get the football Nelson Aguilar was having a good good season. Torrey Smith was a vertical threat for this team. Good tight ends. He had he had the play call was great. He had the coaches that believed in him. 
great supporting cast, and he was able to just let it rip. Um, so the turnovers, you know, I, that was never an issue in Philadelphia. That was never an issue during his career. Um, but he goes on to have one of the most magical Super Bowl runs that we've ever seen. And what's interesting is that those couple of games he came in late in the regular season, kind of, there are questions about would the offense, was the offense going to be good enough because he struggled in the win over Oakland to secure home field advantage. And they were like, well, we have everything wrapped up. The number one seed in week 17, the Cowboys were coming to come to town. Let's give Nick a few series. And the team didn't, the offense didn't look good in the first couple of series. And a lot of the chatter on sports talk radio was, did, should it go to Nick Foles? This is a, a playoff caliber team. And remember, everyone was saying that this is the, the worst number one seed. It's a, it's a number one seed that's that's going to bounce out of the playoffs very quickly. And, you know, Nick Foles plays – he plays okay in the game against Atlanta, divisional round. They win because Julio Jones can't get the fourth down pass a little bit high over his head. But then the NFC Championship game, just he couldn't miss. And that's – Nick Foles, is, he's a streaky quarterback, okay? He's a high-volatile quarterback. It's – you're going to – you could get – NFC Championship, Super Bowl, Nick Foles, where he's just on top of his game and nothing can stop him and he's red hot. Or you can have struggled Nick Foles where he's just going to be in a funk and you don't quite know what you're going to get. I think it's that volatility that probably has has forced teams to kind of wonder if he can be a long-term answer at starting quarterback in the NFL. Um, but he led the Eagles on the playoff run in 2018 as well. He deserved a chance to be a starter. He showed enough that he could be a starter candidate. And, you know, Jacksonville, I think you could say it's the, the coaching. It's he had the injury early on. Jacksonville just seems like it's 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 struggling as a franchise to getting traction right. going. Uh, I was happy when he went to Chicago because he had Matt Nagy there who knows him. Filippo is the is a quarterback's coach. He was with him in Philadelphia. These are coaches that know him. OK, that's that's why it's surprising when I've read the stories about, you know, the play calling differences with, with Matt Nagy and, you know, you mentioned that the ball control issues, uh, you know, that it's all, it's all, you know, confounding, but I think it speaks to some of who Nick is, is that he's such a high volatile quarterback that, you know, there's times where you're going to get amazing plays that you can't believe like a 27 and two season or that performance he had against Tom Brady in the Super Bowl or the struggles that he's having right now. That David show right now, we have Chris McPherson joining us to talk about Nick Foles. Uh, he writes for PhiladelphiaEagles.com. Follow him at C-Mac Eagles. That is C-M-A-C-E-A-G-L-E-S. Uh, Chris, real quick, I'm going to ask you this, just off to the side, mm-hmm. about coaching. Because it seems like a lot to me from everything that you just said, that basically, yes, you know that Nick Foles isn't a perennially great quarterback, but he's a guy that can get hot. But it also seemed like you were saying to me that he's not a guy that can lose the game for you. And here in Chicago, it's starting to kind of turn into a situation where he's a guy. And it's, again, it's not it's low hanging fruit from the point if you just blame him, because one of the questions I have for you is about his fundamentals. And I can't judge his fundamentals here in Chicago. Another reason why I wanted to get someone from Philadelphia, because he's has a, he has a guy in his face. So when he's throwing off his back foot. I don't know if that's something that he does. Like here in Chicago, we knew Jay Cutler. Jay Cutler, phenomenal arm, right? But because of that phenomenal arm, fundamentally his footwork was trash. 
Like he he would never just go, go through and throw the ball. So one coaching wise, do you think it's really a coaching problem here in Chicago? Because it seems like in Philadelphia, the coaches knew what to do with Nick Foles. And perhaps here in Chicago, the coach doesn't know what to do with Nick Foles. I, I would say the one thing, if you go back to his early tenure, with the Eagles at 2013-2014 time frame, he had a tendency to hold on to the ball too long. He had a tendency, you mentioned the back foot uh, issue there. He would tend to kind of fall away as, as he's throwing to lose some of that strength into his throws, and that would kind of leave some of those balls up in the air. So that was one thing. The, the other thing, I, I watched. I haven't watched too much of, of Nick with the Bears this year. I did catch uh, the latter part of the game against the Saints, the other night, because it was before the Eagles played the Cowboys, it was on at the stadium. Uh, and there's a part of look, anyone who's connected to that Eagles organization, they're always going to look at Nick and he's got a special place in our hearts just because he's generally as good a guy as he is, you know, behind the scenes in the locker room, as you would see from a public persona. And certainly it's going to be a different relationship for Eagles fans as compared to Bears fans who really have no connection yeah. uh, to Nick. But nonetheless, you know, there's that vested interest of watching. And it seems like because of the struggles of the offensive line and I'll, and it doesn't seem like I know Montgomery had a good game, but I don't know if the running game has been consistent enough for him no. that he's not a type of guy who's going to have the elusiveness to make, you know, second reaction type plays. He's not going to be like a Mahomes or Russell Wilson, even a Carson Wentz in that regard where, you know, if the pressure's coming down on him, he can, he can get out of the way and make something out of nothing. And that's probably going to hurry up his his decision-making. It's going to rush him into some bad throws. I'll, I'll go back to the 2018 season. It was the divisional round. This was actually, actually after the double doink game against uh, the Bears. You're going to do us like that. I'm just, I'm just mentioning. I'm not uh-huh. just mentioning. It's the week after. They're playing the Saints, and they're on the road. And Nick Foles had this hot start, got the Eagles off to a big lead, but they lost Brandon Brooks to an Achilles injury arguably the best guard in football and players have said that if we had Brandon Brooks, we would have won that game because the interior pressure of the saints just caused so much problems for the offense the run game for the Eagles. That season wasn't as strong as 2017. You're now getting that leakage in the, in the middle of the offensive line and the Eagles offense struggled through the rest of the game, gave enough of a window for the Saints to come back and win in a very close ball. Game. Yes. So I think that's the biggest thing is he's got to have things right around him. He's not a player, you know, it, it seems like we, we see these quarterbacks now and it's almost becoming a necessity to an extent where the, the quarterbacks have to be able to make these second reaction plays because the offensive lines, whether it's because of the, the, the offenses in college football, because of the, the lack of training and coaching time in the off season, especially coming off the, the pandemic and no off season, really, the offensive line play across the board is just not as good. And if you don't have those same five guys like the Eagles, you know, pretty much had, they, they lost left tackle Jason Peters, but they had the Super Bowl run with, with big V Halapula Vati Vitae. Still can't believe I can say his name, even though he's now in the <laughs> NFC North with the Lions. But nonetheless, you, you need to have that cohesion up front. I think that's what the Eagles are going through right now is that they, they've started, you know, it seems like a different offensive line combination Eagles have had eight games and I believe it's seven offensive line combinations. Kat. Wow. wow! It's hard to win. It, it, yep. It's not an excuse, especially, but it is very difficult to win. It's hard without that stability. And if you don't have quality play to begin with up front, that's just going to make the job tougher. Um, but 
you know, there, there are certain traits. Look, Nick Foles is, has a, throws a great deep ball. He's willing to trust his receivers. He has a great guy, you know, in Allen Robinson who could throw. Again, it reminds me a lot of Alshon and what Alshon did in 2017. You guys have seen what Alshon could do in the past when he's at the top of his game. Uh, Daryl Mooney seems to be like the young, energetic playmaker there. Uh, I believe it was the other night where he had the one pass where Mooney got open but the ball was just too far in front. It's like, look, Nick's going to put the ball up, but he's got to, he needs a second to, to be able to settle and get it out there. So um, I think they talked about this on the broadcast. What could Mitchell Trubisky bring that's different? And it's, it's that ability to, to move away from pressure. All right. That's the yeah. one difference. He would be able to bring at this point, but uh, I think when you're looking for someone who's going to, this is going to get into leadership and, and intangible standpoint, because the Bears seem like they're getting to be at a crossroads where the defense is playing all world. It's, it's very similar to 2018 in a lot of ways. It's an all world defense that's like we can hold the Saints and Drew Brees and all of them to, you know, 17 points offense. Just, just gets to 20, you know, like how much more like what we can't do much else other than score on our own. Like we're pretty much doing what we can. You're going to need to make sure that that locker room doesn't start to have cracks in the, in the foundation. And, and you have the finger point going on to say, we're doing our part where we, you know, where is it coming from your guys? And Nick Foles is the type of guy that can make sure that those bonds are strong enough in the locker room to mm. be able to be able to get through the adversity. Cause I, I think quite honestly in 2017, Kath, he was the perfect guy to take over for Carson Wentz because that night in Los Angeles, when Carson Wentz tore his ACL you know, the Eagles rallied to win that game. It clinched the division title. But in the locker room, they're like, we lost our guy. He was we lost MVP. our MVP. He was the MVP, MVP that year. He was the MVP, man. You know, we lost the MVP of the league. And where do we go from here? Nick Foles was the right guy to come in and to be able to steer the ship. Even though he, he had some of those struggles early on, uh, he had enough of ability to rally the guys to be able to say, we can still get this done. And I think that's what's going to be important for this Bears team. The fa- and the fact that he's been through the highs and the lows, make, it makes it very evident that he's someone that will be able to help that locker room. Because it's, it's a talented team, it's, but it's a tough division. I know the Packers are, are you know, reeling a little bit right now. You know, I don't know what the Vikings are, if they're going to be able to turn things around, but everything's there for the Bears. So it's really going to be important that they can keep that uh, that mentality, that lockership, the locker room leadership together. That David show here with Chris McPherson. He writes for the Philadelphia Eagles.com. Chris, uh, two questions. One real quick. Mm-hmm. That he has a nice deep ball. Would you say that he's accurate? And also, would you say that he is, uh, he's good with clock management? That's been another problem here in Chicago with clock management. Um, I don't, I don't have anything that says in terms of the deep ball, I would say it's, it's pretty accurate. You know, I don't think it's like maybe an elite accurate, but I think that the fact that he has the strength that he's shown the ability to let his receivers go get it is very, very important. Um, the clock management that there's nothing from his time in Philadelphia that I recall that being, uh, being an issue. Um, I, I feel like Doug Pearson's always done a good job of, you know, getting the plays in early, giving quarterback time to survey the field. And, you know, re- that, that's a big thing is you're going from two different style quarterbacks. And it, it's similar in, in Chicago where you're going from someone who has that mobility, like a Mitchell Trubisky, mm-hmm. or in Philadelphia of Carson Wentz. Now you got to shift things to 
what what does someone like a Nick Foles? What is he gonna like more? Um, and that's that's why again with guys like De Filippo there, Nagy, there are guys who have been there with him. That's that's why you feel like that the Bears would have brought him in. Okay, it's like this would be like if you traded for a guy midseason and you never and it's like you know say it's a you know starting caliber player at whatever position, but he doesn't quite fill a hole in the and then at the end of the season it's like. Well, you know, we weren't able to to acclimate him in time. We didn't have an offseason with him. There was some kind of excuse for why they weren't able to bring him on board. But there should have been a plan. You not you shouldn't acquire a guy with, without a plan. These coaches should know full well. And there's enough tape. There's enough history of Nick Foles to know what he is all about, um, to know that he's going to be that steadying presence more than anything else. Uh but you're going to have to live with some of the highs and lows. Again, he can be extremely, extremely streaky, but when he's on, on top of his game, look, he can ball out and he can do everything he needs to do to carry a team. I just don't think he's going to be a guy that's going to be able to elevate and make, you know, make up for things like we talked about here, the offensive line, the run game. It's, it's not, he's not a guy that could be able to put everything on his shoulders to be able to carry. He's going to need some of the other aspects of that offense to pick up the slack, but it seems like that, there's enough weapons in that offense. You know, you've got coaches that have worked with them in the past, you know, so it's not like that they're designing anything brand new. It's, you know, it's stuff that they should have in the arsenal and the playbook to be able to work with them. You know, that's why you're surprised seeing the, um, and I, you know, I didn't read too much into what exactly those differences were, but the fact that they're, they're not on the same page with the coaches and the play calling, it's, that's concerning. Cause that's one of the things that you got to get figured out. You got to make sure your quarterback feels good about the game plan and what's being called on a down-in, down-out basis, that wasn't an issue in Philadelphia when Doug Pearson was calling the plays. He knows that he has to work with the quarterbacks to make sure to get them on the right page. So um, that's why it's going to be very interesting to see what the Bears do with Nick Foles moving forward here. Chris, you know what? I want to speak to Doug Peterson and his, his play calling and coaching because I do remember, and I, I want to start getting to some more some Philadelphia stuff too, but I do remember when Carson Wentz came back, there was a discussion that perhaps Carson Wentz was somewhat upset that they were calling plays that they were called for Nick Foles. And I guess he, he found them to be too simple. Now I could be wrong, but the part of the reason I want to ask that question, did Doug Peterson really augment his play, his play calling and his playbook for Nick Foles and outside of just the athletic component of Carson Wentz, but just, let's just say as far as schematics with deep balls across routes, every, like, did he augment it? And is, is that part of his playbook, the part that's still supposed to be similar to DeFilippo and Coach Nagy? That should be. I mean, that's the biggest thing there to, to follow up on that last point there. Those are the things that should carry over. Cause again, DeFilippo was in, you know, in with this coach's room here in 2017, he was a big part of, you know, calling the red zone, designing the red zone plays for this team. He certainly knows uh, how that playbook was built in Philadelphia and how they were able to play to Nick Foles' strengths. So I, I think there were definitely some, there some similar, some differences I should say in terms of, what's being called, but I think a lot of it is to take advantage of, look, Nick or Carson Wentz, I should say, has a very, very strong arm, okay? Yes. And probably, you know, he has that gunslinger mentality, uh, you know, knows how to use it to get out of trouble. Um, there was a throw against the Giants. It was uh, the game two weeks ago where he's, like, rolling to his right. He throws across his body, you know, to, like, the left side of the field, and it became a jump ball for Travis Fulgham, the breakout player for the Eagles. And it's actually one of the rare times he didn't come up with the ball. And it was one of those plays where you say to yourself, man, do you really want your quarterback throwing that ball? Like, but Carson Wentz 
can do it and knows that he's able to get away with it. So it's like, I think the coaches have said that, you know, when when he's doing that and he's playing at the top of his game, you're just kind of like, you got to ride with it. Okay. You don't, you know, it's not something that you're going to, you know, draw up in the playbook per se, but he has that unique talent to be able uh, to make up for it. Um, I don't think Nick Foles has that ability to kind of, you know, build off of something like that. When you get to those scramble situations to be like, all right, we're going to like, you know, be able to pull something out of nothing, something that Carson Wentz has done time and time again, especially when you look at what made him so good in like the 2017 season, the MVP year, it was like third and long situations. You'd be like, he would find a way to make that play. Like third and 13 was like third and one to the mm-hmm. Eagles that season. It, it was uncanny uh, and just in some ways just unbelievable how they were able to pull themselves out of those situations time after time again. Um Nick Foles is more of a, he needs the structure than anything else. Okay. He needs that, that structure where he's got to be able to make, you know, go through the progressions quickly um, to be able to make those well-defined reads, not someone that you're going to want to say, again, this goes back to the difference between he and Trubisky is Trubisky can give you some of that. Um, Maybe the decision-making isn't as good at the end of it than maybe say a Carson Wentz, you know, I see you shaking your head there, Kenneth, but you know, don't compare the two. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, just putting out there, just putting out there. Um, I, I, so I think that's, that's the big thing is realizing that he's someone who's got to be on time. He can work in tempo. Talking about Nick Foles here to work in tempo. You got to try to keep it within structure. Now, again, if you don't have the strong offensive line play, you got to do a lot of the quick game. The problem is, if you don't have guys who are good yards after the catch guys, that that's going to kind of limit. So you got to find a way to either create, you know, either give like a max protect so he could get those shot plays off. So he can have time for the routes to Mooney or Allen Robinson to let those develop, to take some shots down the field. Um, the, the bit I saw from the bears playing the saints, it just seemed like it's a very condensed offense. Um, and maybe, is part of it knowing that we've got this great defense. We don't want to turn the ball over. We want to be very careful with it. That's great. But today's NFL is not designed to be let's play small ball and try to win games 20 to 17. It's not, yeah, you can't play, you can't play conservative. And, you know, again, you've got a quarterback who in the Super Bowl, the biggest of stages threw for 400 yards and got 41 points on the board against a Bill Belichick defense. Like this is a guy who, Look, if he has the tools around him, can get it done. Okay. And then you might say, well, that was, you know, a one one time thing. It was a Super Bowl. He played the game of his life. True. The week before that in the NFC Championship game against the Minnesota Vikings, the vaunted defense, top ranked in the league that season, put up 38 points. It was 31 if you had a pick six. So really 31 points, but still it was like nothing. Every throw he he put out there guys were coming down with it. So, and I think that's the biggest thing that if you have some of that vertical element, a, he has guys like Robinson who can go up and get the ball. He throws a good deep ball that he'll guys will have a chance to come down with it. And look, it just loosens up the defense to say that we've got to account for it more than anything else. So especially when you have speed guys, um, you know, like, like Mooney, the breakout guy, you really got to be able to, to utilize that part of the playbook and that part of his game. That David show right here, we have Chris McPherson's talking about Nick Foe. Follow him at C-M-A-C-E-A-G-L-E-S uh, on Twitter. Uh, listen, I don't want to compare Carson Wentz, all right, especially 2017 Carson Wentz, mm-hmm. to 
risky, but I I, I kind of want to know a little bit about the relationship in the quarterback room between Carson Wentz and, and Nick Foles, because I, I guess I would like to extrapolate something from there as far as perhaps what's going on with Mitch and with Nick. How is the relationship with Carson Wentz and Nick Foles, I, I guess, before uh, Carson uh, blew his ACL out and Mitch, I mean, and, and Nick came in and won the Super Bowl and then after uh, winning the Super Bowl, how are their relation? How was their relationship? You know, from all accounts, they were they're both men of faith. Okay, and I think that's something that com- that bonded them together from the onset. But I also think that they were genuinely happy for each other's success. Mm. You know, Nick was pull- supporting and Carson every bit of the way. And, and when Nick was signed, he was signed knowing this is Carson's team. And even after Nick won the Super Bowl, this was still Carson's team, and he was fine with that. He was as fine as you're going to be. You know, with that understanding that look, this is my role. I'm coming here to do my job. Like. I'm one of the guys. That's a big thing. But he knows, you know, time and time again, I'm here to back up Carson. I'm here to hold the ship down. But this is ultimately his team. It was very difficult for Carson Wentz because I think he knew that's supposed to be me. Like Philadelphia was so star for that Super Bowl title. And Carson Wentz was playing. We talked about how high was. Yeah. he was 11 and two. You know, just the the amazing plays. I've I've said that he was Patrick Mahomes before Patrick Mahomes, which just that's the play a good that one. he was, that he was making. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's like he had he had celebrities. You know, just you know, totally in awe of what he was doing on the field. He was must watch TV yeah. each and every week. He it was so fun and electric to watch. Um, he knew that during that Super Bowl week, this he's like that's supposed to be me. You know, yeah. I'm supposed to be the one, you know, having the MVP performance. I'm supposed to be one, you know, handed the trophy and, you know, shower with confetti. But I still think that they had a very good relationship between the both of them. You mm. know, again, that they support each other. Um, 2018, Carson was focused on his rehab. I mean, it was an arduous rehab. He's trying to get back. He wasn't ready for the start of the season. Nick had to start the first couple of games of the 2018 season until Carson could come back. But once Carson was ready – it's his show. Okay. And Nick was, he took the back seat once again, he was kind of out of the limelight and then Carson was dealing with the back injury he's done for the season. Well, Nick's got to come back in. So at the end of 2018, I think it reached a point where Nick was like, I just want the opportunity to start. And I understand it's not going to be here and it's not, you know, any uh, ill will toward the Eagles. It's nothing ill toward, towards Carson. It's, you know, this is, this is my time. It's I, I, he felt like, I believe I have a chance to be a starter again. I want that opportunity. And the Eagles released him and allowed him to go out and be a free agent and be able to have that opportunity to sign with another team. And he went to Jacksonville and obviously things didn't work out and we're seeing what he can do here in, in Chicago. That That's just why his career has been so odd because he was a third round pick is when you're drafted as a third round pick at quarterback, it's not like you're really meant to be the guy. It's not like you're automatically the guy. It wasn't, right. Andrew Luck of that year, you know, wasn't, you know, RG3 of that year in Washington. Like, those are the saviors. They're going to change the franchise forever. This isn't, you know, Russell Wilson was given the job from day one, but, there, you know, it wasn't that, that way with Nick Foles. So he earned a starting job, and you have a quarterback who, again, goes to a Pro Bowl one year, takes you to the playoffs. The next year, he gets you to a 6-2 and two record before he gets hurt, and then he's discarded. And it's like – what did, what did he do wrong? Okay. But then he struggles almost is out of football and then rejuvenates himself coming back to where his career started. It's just been such an interesting arc. Um, But the person who Nick Foles is, I think is, and I said this before, 
is why I think it's worked because he has a genuine way of connecting with the guys in the locker room because he's open. He's honest. You know, he, he talks about his faith. He talks about his wife's struggles with, with her health issues uh, and that what that's done. Um, you know, he grew up in, in Texas high school football. Like it's like the, the stage has never Religion. been too big for him. Yeah. You know, it's, you know, it's like, it's, he's grown up in the sport. Um, uh, you know, he's, he's humble. It's like, it's, he didn't, he won the Super Bowl and didn't change. He came back that next year and, you know, he had the book deal and, and had the, you know, got all the, the, the speaking engagements and all that stuff. But when he came back in the locker room, he was still, it was Nick Foles. It was Nick Foles as if when he signed with the team the year before, you know, it was not any different. He didn't come in with this aura of like, I'm the MVP, you know, bow down to me. Like I'm the man. No, he's like, okay, if I got to start a couple of games, great. If not, you know, I'm here to support Carson Wentz and, and cheer for his uh, road to recovery and to see him get back to the top where he belongs. So he's such a unique player. He's had such a unique career, such a unique person that I think that that's, that's why it's been able to work. And I don't think it always can work like that in, in a locker room, especially because how often do you see the backup come in to be the hero right? and then have to come down to be the backup once again, a lot of people brought up like the Phil Sims, Jeff Hostetler uh, mm-hmm. comparison from, from the Giants. 90s Giants. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're, it's rare. It's just really, really rare, and especially in a sport that's star for good play at the quarterback position. Mm-hmm. Listen, uh, I want to get to Wentz. Uh, one, because in that 2017 season, I can remember, I can remember the year before looking at him be like, all right, this kid is nice, right? But I remember in 2017 watching some Eagles games, and at at one point I said, forget every young, hot-rising quarterback, Andrew Luck and who else are out there. This kid is better than them. Like, that's just – and that was – I believe that was the day I was like, this kid's MVP. Like, he he was playing so phenomenal. It's weird to watch where some of these plays that he does right now. And and now, is that due to the fact that – he doesn't have the same talent. As you mentioned, the offensive line woes uh, with Alshon Jeffrey being out in and out of the game. Uh, is, 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 how much of this is on uh, on Carson Wentz uh, for doing too much at times or trying to do too much? Or how is it some of it on Doug Peterson? Because how can the Eagles get back to Carson Wentz from 2017 if he'll ever get back to that Carson Wentz? Okay, that, that's the million-dollar question in Philadelphia. That's what everyone wants to know in Philadelphia. I, I think the biggest thing – and you saw this early on Sunday night against the Cowboys. I don't know if you watched the game, but opening drive, Carson Wentz rolling out, trying to make a play, wait for guys to get open. And it was a two-man route. I mean, there were, wasn't any options. There weren't any options down the field for him to throw the football to, but he's still holding the ball, holding the ball, holding the ball. And Donovan Woods, the safety for the Cowboys, sacked him, stripped the ball. Cowboys recover. They got three points, an early 3-0 lead. And you're just like, they're starting Ben DiNucci at quarterback. This is a team with infighting. They're on the road. There's nothing going right for the Cowboys. The last thing you need to do is give them an opportunity. Okay. So I think some of that is the decision-making on Carson Wentz's part. Um, I mean, he had four, four total turnovers in the game, two fumbles, two interceptions. The other fumble, uh, the, whether he didn't recognize the blitz, whether the offensive line didn't pick it up properly, I'm not sure, but Leighton Vanderesh sacked him. Carson Wentz didn't have much time, but if if he was supposed to hit the hot read, he didn't. And the hot read, whether it was Greg Ward or Travis Fulgham over the middle, he had two guys open and was not able to get the ball out there. Um, but again, that's it was a real quick reaction play. Not quite sure what happened there. You look at the interceptions. The one was into double coverage 
along the sideline. It was a great interception by Trayvon Diggs. Shouldn't have thrown it, but not the worst throw in the world. The other one was one he threw up deep for John Hightower, a rookie wide receiver who I think could do a better job fighting for the ball when it's he's not going to make the play. But again, another great interception and Trayvon Diggs second of the game. But to have four interceptions in a game, a division game, you say to yourself that it's not a winning recipe for four. It's not going to be sustainable. It, it's it's working because this NFC East is struggling and the teams aren't very good right now. But <laughs> you're going to learn a lot in the second half of the season because you get the Seahawks, the Saints, Arizona's on the rise. You get to face the, the Browns, you know, seem like they're trying to get things together. It's a very difficult – it's a first-place schedule down the stretch in the second half of the season. So it's going to be very, very difficult. The thing is, at the end of 2019, Wentz wasn't as flashy, but he took care of the football. The last four games, I think it was like 10, 10 touchdowns, one interception. Um, you know, he didn't have – he had Greg Ward coming off the – he had all the practice squad guys coming up, but – he was able to methodically move the ball down the field because he made quick decisions. He got rid of the ball quickly. You know, he was smart when to use his athleticism. It, it seems like there's too much hero ball right now. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's who he is. And he says, I'm not going to take that out. That's in my DNA. I'm not taking it out. What, what Doug Peterson and the coaches have to do a better job of is trying to figure out how to minimize um, that room for, for him to have that. If that makes sense. Okay. Mm-hmm. They've got to figure out what can we do? What can we do that we did at the end of 2019, you know, where he was able to take care of the football, make quick decisions, get, you know, get the ball in the hands of his playmakers and let them do their thing and not, you know, kind of just be more of a point guard instead of feeling like he has to be the one to do everything in the offense, because while the offensive line has been unstable, you're starting to get guys back by weeks coming at a great time. You've got Travis Fulgham, who's the breakout player for, for the Eagles. You can maybe say breakout player for the NFL, the way he's he's led the he leads the league in receiving yards since he was called up from the practice squad. And this is five games. This isn't a one or two game flash in the pan. All right. Oh, you know, he had a great game. Can he sustain it? He's had 75 yards or, or 73 yards or more in each of the last four games. He has four touchdowns in the five games. Like it's ridiculous that the teams know. He's the guy, and he's still producing. That's the thing. Mm-hmm. He, he is the number one guy for this offense. But they're getting their first-round pick, Jalen Rager. They're getting the tight ends back. The, the pieces are going to be there around him. It's going to be on Carson to figure out just live to fight another day. Live to fight another down. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if the play is not there, throw it, throw it away. You know, throw it away. Lil's a tick sooner. You know, he said on that fumble that he lost, you know, scrambling that – I was about to throw the football. He had he had all the time in the world to get rid of that football, and he just didn't. Now, again, part of it's on Carson, but the coaches have to figure out a way to kind of rein that aggressiveness in one way or another. So that that's really going to be the big key because it's look, it's those reactionary plays that made him who he was in 2017. That, that's the thing that him ducking from a defender, rolling out, you know, finding the guy that that that's what electrified this offense and really, you know, capture the attention of the entire league. So you don't want to take that away from it. Is there ways to build that more into the offense in the play so that you don't have to rely on him trying to do it on his own. So there's, that's the biggest thing. I think the, the buys coming at the right time. The Eagles are getting healthy. Carson can get away, could, could take a mental break. Uh, you know, they're, they're winning. They're, they're going to have another game with the giants who giants are being very competitive. So, 
you know, the big question is we'll see what he can do in these uh, these next couple couple of weeks coming out of the bye. Real quick, listen, one of the things that you said, Chris, was that and it, it was astute. Usually third round quarterbacks, you're not going to get the job. Like you you may get a Matt Flynn situation with, you know, out there with Seattle, but usually it's not going to happen like that. But second round quarterbacks, you get more of a look. And in saying that, is there a chance? Because it would be hard to believe, but I think we keep focusing on 2017. Like how yeah. did we go before Jalen Hurts? gets a true look because just looking you love what he did at Oklahoma. I'm, I, I love the tide and I wasn't the biggest hurts guy. Let me even, let me leave with that. I wasn't the biggest hurts guy, uh, but I always appreciated what Jalen hurts did. And he's definitely a quarterback that you would like to probably sit for a year or two and kind of really get acclimated to the NFL uh, because there's some talents there. And you, you saw it with what Riley got out of my Oklahoma. Is there a chance that you see down the road that Jalen hurts can supplant uh, Carson Wentz? Uh, unless there's an injury, I don't see it here in 2020, yeah. to be honest, because I'll go through a couple different things here. First, to the Hertz's ability question there, Kenneth, I, I remember seeing him, first time I saw him in person was at the Senior Bowl. And I was, you know, he, he Herbert was there. Herbert was the best quarterback there. Love was the guy who was like, ooh, what, what could he be type thing. He has the arm talent. He had all the kind of, you know, he had the, the mystique around him. Um, Hertz was, was solid, but the, didn't do anything to be like, you know, it, it was hard to kind of see him trans. Where was he going to be at the next level? Then I saw him at the combine, and I remember like, wow, I don't know who he's working with, but the arm seems stronger. The ball seems sharper. Like, like you kind of came away saying, "Like, I, I we'll see, we'll see where he lands." Type thing. Because I never thought it would be in Philadelphia. Quite honestly, now, why did the Eagles draft him? Because we've talked to this. The whole point of you bringing me on was about Nick Foles and mm-hmm. what his value has been to the team as a backup. And you could go in Eagles history. During Donovan McNabb, you know, the greatest quarterback in Eagles history, you go back to his his time and you had guys like A.J. Feely, you know, guys like Jeff Garcia who were able mm-hmm. to get the Eagles to the playoffs even while McNabb was hurt. Then you can think back. We'll go a little bit farther back now to Randall Cunningham. So put some respect on Randall. Put some put some respect on Randall. I'm, I'm just I'm just saying there's a lot lot faster with Randall that if you had the coaches all that we could that's a whole other discussion. Yes, but, but and especially in today's game, today's game would be would be he'd be lights out, lights out. It's a shame. His but style that, also led to him getting hurt, which you're was what you're alluding to. Well, that well, it, no. The fact of the matter was, he got hurt, and then it was ninety-one. The gangrene defense, one of the best defenses in recent era. You know, you know, talk about the eighty-five Bears, the ninety-one Eagles, five Pro Bowlers, Reggie White, Jerome Brown. You know, Seth Joyner was was the the Sports Illustrated MVP of the year that year as a, as a linebacker, and not not a Lawrence Taylor edge rusher linebacker, a, an actual not a Khalil Mack edge uh-huh. rusher linebacker, a legit off-ball linebacker. But the problem was Cunningham got hurt in week one. They had no quarterback and they weren't able to do anything with it. So the value of the backup quarterback is key. And going back to Foles, his draft class of 2012, the Eagles have said many times and every team I think has pretty much said, well, we really like Russell Wilson. You know, he, he just, he was gone by the time we got there in the third round. What quarterback do you let last right. in the third round? Great point. Okay, if you really if you really like Russell Wilson, all right, you're not gonna take him in the first, but 
set, you don't take a quarterback in the second round that you really like. Let, come on now. We got, we got to, let's be real here. So, so the fact of the matter is the Eagles felt like lesson learned. If we like the quarterback there in 2012, let's not screw up and let's not mess around and let's get our guy. So they know that they're, they're back of going into the season with Nate Sudfeld. He was unproven. It was a one-year deal. Nate wants it. I think the chance he realizes Carson's guy, we got to figure out who's our long-term answer as a backup. Um, they used a draft pick the previous year on Clayton Thorson. He went to de- you know, it didn't work out. Bottom line is it didn't work out. They wanted to get a more concrete answer. And at the same time, would this, would his skill set be something that could augment the Eagles offense and it's an offense that because of the injuries, the offensive line play, it's needed a little bit of a spark and Jalen Hurts has helped provide that. Um, but I don't, again, if, unless there's an injury to Carson Wentz, unless, unless the season went completely down the drain, we're looking at week 17 and it's like, look, this team is, doesn't win another game. They're, they're three, you know, 12 and one or whatever. And, and it's the last game. Do you get a look? But even then, uh, it, this is Carson's team. He's the guy, you know, the pieces are coming back at the right time, coming off the bye. You know, I, I think Carson is going to quell the people who are calling for Jalen Hurst. That, that's a look, that's a big topic in Philly. That's a huge okay. topic with Doug Pearson at his press conference this week with the sports dog radio. What is that threshold? And, you know, Doug Pearson actually, and, and actually brought up Kansas city 2015. They were one in five to start all talked about. Do they bench Alex Smith? They didn't. They went on a, an amazing run. They won their last 10 regular season games and got into the postseason. Uh, so Doug, Doug knows how to navigate adversity. Mm. The big the big thing with Doug is obviously good play caller, smart on offense, comes from the Andy Reid school, all that stuff, all great things. But where he's really made a difference is his ability to lead through adversity Carson's injury in 2017. You can say Carson's injury in 2018. A team struggling that lost to the lowly Dolphins last December. It was like the Dolphins' second win of the year, whatever. They lost on the road. Everyone thought they were dead in the water. They have to win the last four games to have a chance at the playoffs. He finds a way to get it done. He every year he's found a way to guide this team through some kind of obstacle. And I don't think it's going to be any different in terms of the end result here with what he does with Carson Wentz to get him back on track. Listen, I know you saw me sitting here smiling like the Trisha cat. Uh, <laughs> I mean, all of that Eagles football. I thought we were going back to jaws before our time. <laughs> we can, I, we can. I, Cause I, listen, I, I like football nationwide. So when you're giving like though, listen, Reggie white is my favorite defensive play. I believe Reggie white is the greatest defensive player. I should say, maybe he's not my favorite. I think he's the greatest. People will say LT, but I look at someone who has his hand on the ground and there's a man has his hands on you at hike compared to if you're frying free, like you were talking about edge rushers, as far as those outside linebackers, you can come running from a nine spot. almost. Like you, it's so much, it's, it's so much easier. So I, that, I love that team. And of course here in Chicago, we always have an affinity for buddy Ryan. Last question. Last question. And maybe you have some insight to this. We found out about this here in Chicago uh, two weeks ago when the Bucks were here playing the Bears. Does Tom Brady hate Nick? Foles? <laughs> <laughs> he didn't want to shake the man's ass. You know, it. I, I don't know. I, I just don't know what what the deal is because it's they bring up 
you know, all the time. It seems like the, the Bucks social media trolls fans with the way that it's like great, great sportsmanship from our, our QB one, you know, cause they show him shaking the hands. It, it's like, they know, uh-huh. I, you know, I just don't, I, I don't know. I know it was an embarrassing end to that game a couple of weeks ago, you know, with, with the Bucks. maybe there's a little bit of that to there. Um, there might just be a sore loser component there. You know, this is a guy who, again, beat him in the Super Bowl, um, beat him, you know, in, in a game, in a, in a pivotal NFC game. And everyone's talking about, you know, the Bucks are our Super Bowl team. The Bears showed that they can be right in that class as well. But it's just, it's just one of the crazy things. Again, you're talking about Tom Brady. You can talk about the greatest of all time. And like, who's going to be like, you know, when all is said and done, when he's giving his Hall of Fame speech, he's going to be talking about the Giants and Strahan, you know, David Tyree and Nick Foles as like, you know, the kryptonite to his Superman. It's just that's again, that's another element of why Nick Foles career has been just so absurd, because it's like of all the quarterbacks whose number he has. It's that guy. The one guy. Now, the one guy that Nick can't seem to beat and get over is Drew Brees. Where they went to the same school, both went to Westlake Austin in in Texas. They're talking about the big time Texas football. Uh, you know, it's been regular season, it's been playoffs. Just happened, you know, this past Sunday, where I thought maybe Foles would finally get over the hump, maybe with a different team. Never been able to get over New Orleans, so it's that's that's one I would keep an eye on more than anything else. But the Brady thing, it's just you know, just another amazing chapter of uh, of Foles' career. Chris McPherson, follow him at C-M-A-C-E-A-G-L-E-S. Uh, he writes for the PhiladelphiaEagles.com. Also, go and follow and check out at Eagles. Chris, really appreciate it. Uh, you're my Philadelphia guy now, man, so I'm going to be coming back to, to you down the line, and please be safe out here. And I appreciate it that you voted also, man. Have a good evening. Kenneth, man, pl- proud to be on the That Davis Show. Thanks for having me on. Definitely do this again sometime soon. No doubt. Davis in the air. Alrighty, that was definitely a great interview. Uh, great get Ryan on picking up Chris. Uh, definitely had fun chatting it up when he started going deep into that Phillies football. Ooh, the taste, the taste, the taste. <gasps> you got to understand black people have an affinity for Philly football because they had two great black quarterbacks. All right, so that's that's our team a little bit over there too. All right, just, just putting it out there for you, Ryan. But you know what time it is, if you're ready. Is it that time? It is that time to go up for grabs. I should probably some snake the MC. Up for grabs with Ryan Bisky. Ryan, what you got for me? Well, we uh, had NFL trade deadline come and go on this Tuesday. So wanted to give you a trade scenario, Chicago sports style, and you got to pick one. So mm-hmm. if you could have one of these trades, first one. Bears trade up in the draft, this upcoming draft, and make a splash for a quarterback. The Bulls trade down from the number four pick in the upcoming NBA draft. Or the Cubs trade away one or more of the core four. Um, I would definitely want the Bears. Not the Bears. Yeah, definitely want the Bears to trade up and get a quarterback. Um, I don't want the Bulls to trade down because there's this this draft. I'll put it like this with with the Bulls. Now, if Arterius Carnesovas and Mark Eversley, if they're like that great of scouts, now initially I'm still going to be like, what are you doing? And they trade down and get two guys who are two of the better guys in this draft, I would love to stand corrected. But initially I'm going to be like, what are you doing? 
uh, with the Cubs, it, you have to tell me how quickly if they made if they traded two of the core four, they're going to be good, really good again. You know what I'm saying? And it may not that may not matter because you may need to do it if you want to be great again. You know, but for my Cub friends, I would like them to be a good team. So I I would be hesitant in trading two of the core four, even though I know that it's that Chris Bryant is likely on his way out. So it, 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 I guess for my I guess the Cubs would be two. Bears one, Cubs two. But I would hope that the Cubs, the players that they get, unless one of them is just so phenomenal, it doesn't matter if he's two years away from the majors. You know what I'm saying? Like, you could wait almost two and a half seasons for this 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 A-plus prospect. Yeah, cool. But I would love – if they're, they're going to make a deal, I would hope for it's, it's a couple players that are already on the cusp of the majors and or players that are not that far from getting to the majors. But, yeah, the Bears going for a quarterback, I think – makes the most sense out of any of those options because the, we see the Bears' defense right now. The only problem with the Bears getting a quarterback is do you, do you trust the guy that's choosing the quarterback in, in Ryan Pace? And also, I'm sure Matt Nagy would have some insight or input, rather, into it. And then do you trust Matt Nagy to be able to bring that quarterback up? And that, those are huge question marks, to say the least. Yeah, I think I would go Bears quarterback in the draft. Uh I don't know how much I love them trading up because it hasn't worked out too well for them in the past. But, man, uh, you just heard it with you and Chris talking about quarterbacking in the NFL with the Bears. Uh They got to go after that position. They got to attack it. So them making a splash for a quarterback would definitely be my number one, too. Stay on the Bears real quick. Uh, Breaking news uh, from the past hour. Jason Spriggs tests positive and Jermaine Effetti joins him on the reserve COVID list, the 19 list. So the the, the, the weakest uh, room in the, with the Bears when it comes to offensive line, right, the weakest group. Now your backup right tackle is out. They just said that Bobby Massey's probably going to be out a month. Mm-hmm. So now Alex Barr clearly has to start at right tackle. And- no, they'll put uh, Rashard Coward at right tackle and Barr's at left guard. Okay, okay. You're right. You're right. You're right. Uh, good point. But uh, yeah, so that's, that's, and the thing that today was a trade deadline and you didn't go out and pick up a guard. I understand you wouldn't be able to trade for a tackle. Somebody would be asking for, uh, for, to try to, to milk you through your nose um, to, to bring in a tackle, but you could have got, went out and got a, a decent guard to help out this room. I mean, go sign somebody if you want. What's, Who's out what's there? What's the problem? Uh, go get the, Anybody, that fairly guy that they uh, Anybody. the beginning of the year. Well, right. why not? I'm not knocking uh, you. I'm just what not, are you listen, looking at right now? I'm, hey, it's better than nothing. But, I'm, I mean, these are things that, one, as soon as uh, James uh, Daniels went down, you should have probably started looking at guard options just in case because chances of your offensive line staying healthy are minute, as you just saw with Chris McPherson talking about the offensive line of the Eagles. But, all right, back to the for grabs. What you got for me? Uh, want to go to the Bulls specifically in another kind of would you rather, which one would you prefer, I guess. Uh, what do you like better? The reports that the Bulls are interested in the Israeli prospect at number four, Denny Adiva, or uh, Maurice Cheeks has been added to Billy Donovan's staff. Chicago boy coming back from Dusabo, Maurice Cheeks, uh, Denny Adiva. <laughs> no, see, uh, this is the thing. And I'm not saying no one that anyone's comparing Denny Adivai to me. 
But usually we always have the situation when a Euro guy is it comes in and he kills. Uh, usually they don't come and kill this quickly as um, Luka Doncic has. Then you start overdrafting other guys from overseas. I know Donaja isn't super athletic. He has a nice handle as far as uh, being a big guy. He can handle the ball. He can facilitate the ball well. He's he's terrible from the three point line. Uh, I don't even know if he's a good free. I, th- I don't think he's a good free throw shooter either. Which, which either which kind of indicates how quickly uh, you'll start to become a decent or average shooter. Uh, so it's kind of like, I guess you know, but it doesn't. When I see it, it doesn't. He doesn't speak to me. But listen. I was I, I could be wrong. I didn't think Luca was going to be great. I'll tell you that. I thought Luca was going to be lesser than Manu Ginobili. I thought his game to me was going to be similar to Manu Ginobili's, which is inaccurate in a way because both were slitherly in a way. I think Manu definitely. I, I did. I knew then, and I know now. Manu's a better athlete, but I didn't know Luca was this strong. Like Luca Doncic. To be he's a, pretty big compared to Manu. Yeah, he's he's strong, dude. Like he, dudes are bouncing off of him. So when you're talking about uh, Aja, it's just I rather listen. I rather I rather go up and get somebody that if you think one of those first three guys are are different are, are is a different make a difference maker, I would prefer for you to try to get those guys. Now, if you have basically the same grade for the first four guys. That, and these guys get paid to do this. I don't. Then go ahead and get Aja, and, and, and we'll go from there. I mean, I I'm not. I haven't seen enough. I'm not Fran Fischilla. I, I, I meant to ask you, could you get Fran Fischilla on the show? I'm not Fran Fischilla. Um, is so, he even in America right now? I don't know. I'm not. He probably is since the COVID situation. Well, if they're playing basketball somewhere internationally, he might be. Fran's got to be there. So, <laughs> um, yeah. I, I I mean, I'm not. I'm not the biggest fan of that decision. I would I would prefer to gamble on, and I know he'd probably be gone. Uh, Lamelo uh, Ball um, Edwards intrigues me. Uh, before the season, Wiseman in- intrigued me. I'm not necessarily sure on the Wiseman situation, but the the Donny Aja one is kind of like, I guess. Hmm. Not uh, not feeling. But how about Mo Cheeks coming back? Uh, listen, uh, I think most people here in Chicago, uh, when you grew up and you found out that he was from Chicago, you had love for him. Um, I can remember Mo Cheeks being, well, Mo Cheeks was in Philadelphia for, when I was in Chicago. I'm trying to think who was he playing with when I got older. I can't remember. Anyway, um, yeah, I like Mo Cheeks coming back. You want to see that. Um, these, those, like, it wouldn't be bad one day. I mean, this is if he was he was on his game, if to have Doc Rivers come back. And I'm not the guy that has to have guys come back. Like, you know, it would be cool uh, if Derek uh, ended up back in Chicago at one point. But I remember getting into a discussion with uh, our friend of the show, uh, Josh, Josh Hicks. Uh, make sure you check out Josh on We Are Reading Radio. Um, but I remember getting into it because he posted something on uh, Facebook where he was like, yeah, the Bulls should basically uh, like swap picks with uh, Indiana and, and, and move some spots down to bring, not Indiana, Detroit, to bring in uh, D. Rose. And I was like, you don't go down the draft because you like somebody to bring back D. Rose at this point in his career. Six, I said a, a, a six man. You don't, you, like, you have to be on the brink of winning a title and even if you're on the brink of winning the title, you're not giving up the fourth pick in a draft, right? Like for a six man, you're, you're, listen, that six man will have to be prolific in that situation. Right. 
So he would um, rather have Lou Williams than Derrick Rose. Right, right. Even though not now because uh, Limit Pepper. But um, no, I, I don't. I'm not the one that's always like they need to come home. But it's good, and I think we all knew that uh, Mo Cheeks was coming once we got Billy Donovan because since he was on the coaching staff, why wouldn't Mo, che- Mo Cheeks come back home, right? It's just been his first chance to actually coach in the city that he was born and raised where uh, fans had a, an affinity for him playing high school basketball here in Chicago. And they should get that little girl. The, 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 the national anthem? Right. Yeah, she's grown. She's grown now. She's grown now. Yeah, man. they should find her and bring her in. That would be great. <laughs> that would be a phenomenal one game against the Bulls. They should have her come in and purposely stumble. Right. And right. He, he doesn't know it's her. And then he comes and he... Re- yeah. Oh, then he's t- Let me give you a Maurice Cheeks hug. Put your cheek to cheek. All right. <laughs> what you got next? Well, you mentioned Doc Rivers. And uh, reports are coming out suggesting the 76ers with uh, former Rockets GM Daryl Morey they're interested in pursuing James Harden and acquiring him. Do you, do you like? Do you like that? Is that a good fit, or do you think it's a terrible fit for the seventy? I think I think James Harden almost any place in the East is a good fit because it's less work. I told you I would love to see him with the Heat about a month and a half ago. Uh, yeah, they would be unstoppable if you put him. They on would. That. I don't like. And it. He bought into that culture, um, and his defense has improved. Um, I thought when Darren Morey went there that he was going to try to get his his favorite player, his best player. I remember even he's, I remember him saying the worst thing that he's ever going to do is probably not give James Harden give James Harden a championship. So that tells you his affinity for James Harden. Uh-huh. So as he was giving the bird to Tillman, leaving the office, he said, "I'm going to get my player back. I'm coming back for him." Um, this is the thing. So I mean, I would think you're going to end up sending Ben Simmons. Um, if you're going to do that with Harden, I would probably prefer. In a way, I prefer to keep Simmons, but I don't know how Simmons and Harden would actually work together. Uh, with, with, with Simmons, yeah. we saw how Russell Westbrook and Harden worked together when but, he couldn't shoot. But you know what? The thing would be different, though. So, if the thing that we're saying that if it was Simmons, I mean, if Simmons was traded for Harden, then Harden would be there with Joel and B, correct? Mm-hmm. I but mean, if, probably. If Embiid, but if Embiid was traded uh, and Simmons stayed, right? you would still be able to, in some ways, play Simmons where Embiid was. So you may be able to get him off because now he can be in the post a lot more compared to he couldn't be in the post like that when you had Embiid out there. So, But I still think the fit seems more natural with Embiid and Harden. But the question is Embiid's health. You know what I'm saying? Like it it reminds me of uh, – it, it would remind me in some ways of when um, – Houston Rockets, since we're talking about Houston, traded uh, Coutinho Mobley and um, what's the um, Steve Fra- Stevie Fra- franchise Steve Francis uh, Fra- Steve Francis for uh, Tracy McGrady, and at that that was just the beginning of when uh, Yao Ming's body started to break down on him. You know what I'm saying? Just the beginning, and then McGrady's body started to break down. But if you had Yao Ming from about two years ago. You can wonder perhaps what that team could have uh, two years. Mm-hmm. You can wonder what that team necessarily would have been. Uh, so that's the only fear of it being hardened and Embiid is that 
and you would be like, man, look, they'll be fresh for a while. And then Embiid's body will start and he'll never get back to where he was when they were fresh at first. And you'd be like, damn, you just wasted another years to James Harden again because you can't get off of Embiid's contract. So um, I'm intrigued by it. And I, I do want to see James Harden in the East. I mean, that's just that's how I feel, because it's like it's enough cats out West. Bring some of that talent back over this way. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. Bring some of that. So I, I would love to see him out here in the East over dribbling the ball. Hmm. So Yao said to Tracy, Yao first. Get it? No. Oh, come on. You first in terms of the injuries? Yao first? Oh, okay. Oh, man. Tough crowd. Sorry. Gotta get you back on election night. (laughs) I'm done with up for grabs. (laughs) All right, all right. Before we get out of here, sticking with the NBA, one of the things I did want to discuss with you, Ryan, was the fact that um, there has been. Uh, an issue between the NBA's Players Association and the league when it comes to the restart of the 2020-2021 season. Uh, The NFL, I mean, the front of the league management wants to start uh, prior to Christmas. So I would say that a little bit mid-December. I think they're looking at December 22nd. Okay, thank you. The players want to start in the middle of January, right? The only problem is uh, the owners. $600 million. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Uh, the owners at Adam Silver said that they could lose $650 million. Uh, and also, you know you're not going to have fans in the stadium. They've already come to the realization they have to start before even worrying about fans coming back. And you're probably not going to get fans back in for that 72 game. They're proposing the 72 game season. They're probably not going to get fans back into the, uh, to the stadiums prior to that. Maybe a few, but you're, you're really not. And I also wonder... How are they going to keep all the NBA players from catching COVID when they're at home playing in their home stadiums? Because they're talking about playing in front of their home stadiums. So that's going to be a real interesting, too. But what's your thoughts when you hear that players don't want to start then and may lose that much amount of money? And may force may face may have to uh, make the owners uh, use the force majeure as far as ripping up the CBA. Yeah, I, I feel like that's that's a lot of money for both sides, players and owners, to not want to lose. So I don't know. I think uh, I would bet that they would try to do December 22nd. And another thing I would be curious about, because they're doing this sort of in vain for the Olympics. Mm-hmm. They want to be done and ready for the Olympics, and they don't want to battle with any type of NFL scheduling. Uh we don't know if COVID, you know, is going to have some kind of rash shut down the league come next year at Good some point. point. Good point. So you might want to give yourself that extra month if you can have mm-hmm. it. I know it's not as great for the players and everything like that, but, you know, when you look at the finals ending in June, you got about July, August, September, and then the season starts in October. It's not too disproportionate from what we have right now and especially if you weren't one of the invite teams I mean I think your offseason is pretty much uh, the same in terms of quantity of time so I, I would think that they're going to try to do that December 22nd as soon as, I, as soon as I heard 600 mil I thought that that meant both sides are going to be doing everything they can to make sure they get that profit yeah I mean the thing is the Lakers just got to kind of give up on trying to get in the first uh, seed in the, in the West uh, next season, just let LeBron and AD, especially LeBron, take some time off. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's the, like, that's the only person you really got to care about for the most part, that as far as tired players that were, were in the finals. I mean, Miami, you may want to give Jimmy some some games off earlier on in the season and let him kind of recuperate. Um, but age-wise, he's not close to LeBron. 
But outside of that, yeah. And then, I mean, the players should do it. And as you mentioned, the players that didn't play have been on a break since then. The players that got to the bubble and the elimination before they started the playoffs have been on a long extended break. And that's not to mention that uh, all these uh, players want a break when they first shut down the league in March because of Rudy Gobert's foolishness, uh, to say the least. But uh, yeah, they definitely need to get back on the get on. I hate to say it, man, that, that basketball would be sweet right now, baby, with all this stuff. It's like, I miss it. Why not bring it back? It's like, listen, the best thing with COVID is there was a window where basketball was only gone like this, where usually basketball is gone for months. Right from June all the way into October, almost Halloween, basketball is gone. And now basketball just left me last month and I'm about to get it back next month. Oh, that's sweet. Shout out to COVID. I'm joking. Fuck COVID. Um, <laughs> yeah. What are you about to say? Uh, yeah, I think it would be, especially you talk about December, Christmas Day basketball. You got to have that in your life. Yeah, and I mean, it also, it lets us get back into finding. Look, here in Chicago, we haven't seen our team play since March. Mm-hmm. And like, it'd be good for Which us. has been kind of a good thing until they get It has been. It has been. It has been, to say, it's to say the least. So, uh, definitely. Uh, the players need to get back in there and uh, need to do what they need to do. But uh, yeah, outside of that, we sit here on both sides of town. There's a chance that there may be some trophies uh, for, for uh, MLB, our MLB players. You got you Darvish, is for going for the Cy Young. Mm-hmm. You got not gonna get it, David Trevor Ross. Power. Yeah, you know Trevor nope, Ross. Getting not it. gonna get it. You got David Anything Ross. No guy's gonna get it. All right, here you got uh, on the, on the, on our side of town. You have for MVP. We have, of course, who's going to get it? Jose Abreu. Get a year. Who's not going to get it? Is going to go to Lewis with Seattle. You have uh, Lewis Rubber, and uh, of course, uh, we miss you. Yeah, so- Ricky ain't getting it. Yeah, Ricky, Ricky, we miss you so much. Listen, I hope Ricky gets it now because of what the Sox did. <laughs> and listen, he has to come back and accept it in a guaranteed rate with the Sox. Right, but only with straight clothes. He can't wear any socks. <laughs> exactly. Uniform. You're not with uh, us anymore. So, yeah, so at least it seems like out of all, all those five, Jose Abreu should be the guy that's taking home. You know what they should really do if Ricky wins it is have Ozzy Guillen present it to Ricky. <laughs> guaranteed <laughs> right. <laughs> It'd be some first. Rookie be like, man, you've been hating on me for so long. And just have Tony Roos, uh, LaRusse out there and maybe the three stooges breaks out between them. Judging the sincerity. I don't think that was a sincere Trevor presentation. <laughs> But yeah, but yeah. So that's all I got, Ryan. Is anything else you want to get off? Of no, uh, it's election time. I'm turning this off and I'm going to election TV, baby. All right. Uh, we'll be back with the flip. We also may have a, a election interview for you sometime during this week. Uh, you'll see that posted if and when we get it. Uh, we always appreciate the support. Thank you to Chris McPherson for joining us. Uh, make sure you follow him at C-M-A-C-E-A-G-L-E-S. Uh, definitely a good follow. I'm following right up after we get off right here. Uh, good get Ryan and good work as always. Um, everybody out there, hopefully the world doesn't blow up and please be safe. <laughs>